RugbyRenegade.com, the number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter, and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast, where we build machines. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Pro Athlete Supplementation. Check them out at pas-nutrition.co.uk for all your supplementation needs. And don't forget that subscribers to the Rugby Renegade program get a 40% discount on retail prices. Yes, this is episode 41 of the Rugby Renegade podcast. My name's Jamie Bain and today I interview Mark Bennett, Head of Sports Science and Medicine at the RFU. Uh, Benny, I worked with many years ago, he mentored me my first... uh, First season in professional rugby, um, so I owe him a lot. Uh, but he's a great guy, uh, really experienced. He's worked at international level and club level in um, Wales and England. Um, wealth experience. He's one of the first, if not the first, um, SNC coaches to bring block periodization uh, into rugby, uh, and just a great wealth of knowledge. So, you know. Put everything aside and give this podcast a good listen. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Uh, great to have you on. Why don't we just start by you telling us a bit about your background, how you got into strength and conditioning and some of the teams you've worked with. Uh, nice to be here, Jamie. Uh, nice to catch up again, mate. Uh, so, uh, so, start back in the beginning. Um, I was really lucky when I retired from professional rugby, which I think was in 1999 to... Uh, step into an S&C role straight away. Things were a little bit different back then. Uh, in reality, there was sort of only one person looking after the team, so there were no such things as interns. Uh, and, and it was a relatively young business, certainly in the UK and certainly in rugby. So I did a, I did a stint with uh, Bristol Rugby there, uh, which I think was maybe... Ooh, I'm going to say that was four years long. Uh, they were quite successful during that period uh, until the last season. I think we actually reached the first Premiership final and lost against Gloucester. Uh, after that, I moved back to Wales for family reasons and uh, ended up uh, looking after the or helping the WRU set up their academies at the time. Uh, they had uh, funding from Europe, so uh, I worked there with uh, with a good guy called uh, Mostyn Richards, who worked for the WRU, uh, and uh, worked there, sort of working through the academies, uh, putting them in place, getting SSC programs done, and also helping out a little bit with the uh, the national squad of Andrew Hoare, who was a big influence in my career, actually. Then... Um, uh, eventually, when he left, I took over the senior role there, and I worked with the national team through until uh, uh, 2009, which, again, uh, I think during my period of the WRU, I was lucky enough to be involved in two Grand Slams, uh, and then moved down to the Ospreys. I was keen to move to the Ospreys for two reasons. One, I thought that uh, I, th- I, I thought it was a great opportunity to be with a successful team at the time, uh, I thought I did think that they'd have an opportunity of uh, winning Europe. They had a uh, a guy at head coach there, Scott Johnson, who I got on with personally, and I liked his outlook uh, on the game. And also Andrew Hoare had uh, uh, taken over as uh, chief operating officer or chief executive officer at the time. 
so I had good relationships with him. Stayed there through until, uh, gosh, uh, I'm not very good with dates, maybe 2009, maybe four seasons, so it might have been 2013, something like that, when I moved to Bristol Rugby and uh, stayed back to Bristol Rugby, and I stayed there until uh, last uh, July when I took my current role with the RFU. Yeah, awesome. Not a not a bad CV there, Benny. Um, now you kind of like you, you said you you started when you know the profession was you know in its infancy and um, obviously a lot of you know you kind of developed you know as you went through. But you had a different background as well. It, was it was it biomedical or biochemistry you, you studied before while while you were playing as well? How, yeah. do, you think, how do you think that's helped you in in your in your career? Um, I thought it would help. Uh... A lot more than it has, if I'm honest. But when I look back, back at it, actually, uh, uh, S&C, on the whole, unless you intend to go into uh, research and you're really interested in the physiology, I think S&C is pretty much common sense, most of what you read. Yeah. I think uh, probably uh, uh, the, the, way, the way we go in and uh, uh, the way that uh, 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 technology seems to be coming into the game. I think that you're probably better off now. Look, you need a, an SSC background now, don't get me wrong. There, there's some uh, uh, technical abilities and knowledge you require, but uh, most of it is not into uh, a high level in terms of biochemistry or those needs. It, it, it's relatively easy to learn, but I think these days it's more about understanding of technology and maybe some basic maths to help you get through. Yeah, because I, I know you're quite big on on stats and looking at kind of key performance indicators. But do you, do you think that's the way things are going, or do you still think it's that, obviously the basics are important? But what are your thoughts on that? Um, I, oh, look, the basics are really important, and, and at the end of the day, um, uh, you, you you need to have the ability to put a, a good S and C program in place and a basic program that uh, that, that that works the basic attributes of the sport that you're in. You have to have a realisation and a knowledge of, of how to put together effective strength programmes, how to together to put uh, effective power programmes, how to develop physiological abilities like, uh, I don't know, aerobic power, aerobic endurance. You have to have the ability to do these things and they come first. And, and despite my earlier comments about technology, I do think technology will have an influence. Uh, but, but, but I do think that uh, you should have the ability to put together a good program without any technology. I mean, you, 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 you can use Excel to help you pull spreadsheets together and help you do a bit of planning. But I think if you think hard about things and do things uh, correctly, you can have the same impact without GPS, for instance, as you would with it. It just takes a little bit more thought and a little bit more common sense. Yeah, definitely a good point there. Uh, and and you mentioned a few physical qualities there, and it kind of brings me on to my next question. Is about, um, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you're one of, if not the first people to use block periodization in rugby. Do you want to just talk to us a bit about what it is and how you've applied it to rugby over the, over the years? Well, um, so uh, there, there are a number of definitions of block periodization, aren't there? So, uh, I like to think that I use some form, or, or when I was hands-on, I used some form of uh, Burkashansky's block methodologies. Um, uh, I, I'm not sure 
if he'd think they were his methodology to look to them, but but, but they were my uh, uptake and understanding of how you put a plan together. So I, I, I think really people sometimes, the first put of call is people question why you'd want to use block periodization. So for me, uh, it seems that in rugby, where you have a, uh, a need to, to train and develop a large range of physical abilities uh, you, uh, in, in a relatively small amount of time that's available in the week, um, it becomes almost impossible to stop a player who has any reasonable training age from doing any more than treading water if you looked at some form of concurrent training program. So I came to the conclusion that one of the things that I liked about uh, block periodization was that it gave me an opportunity to to have enough time set aside in a week to focus on one or two elements of uh, physiology or conditioning and actually have the ability to perform enough volume to develop those the said attributes. Now, uh, some people are quite critical of it and they say, well, uh, you spend too long away from other factors, uh, you, you lose other attributes. So it's generally not the case because you tend to be churning through blocks relatively quickly, two or three weeks at a time. Uh, you do a, you, a lot of your other stimuli are provided within the actual sports-specific or rugby sessions. So I, I just felt that it was an opportunity to to do something that, that where the organisation seated rugby as much as anything else. So probably quite at an opposite end of the spectrum to other people's viewpoints, possibly. Now, um, how, how, how I put it together was sort of the focus would start uh, uh, in strength sessions where you would have a block of uh, uh, maximal strength work where the, where the focus would be simply be on improving strength and have no concerns around uh, uh, explosive power uh, or any other qualities and during that period any opportunities that you'd have to do um, uh, uh, energy system work or, or, or energy system physiology work outside of the gym would be spent on uh, work around uh, uh, aerobic attributes preferably uh, uh, aerobic endurance and maybe start to go towards some aerobic power towards it and, and, and in some of the jobs that I've been lucky enough to do. I've had very good relationships with coaches where they've understood this, and uh, we've actually had the ability to plan uh, training sessions or, or, or sports-specific rugby sessions where length of drills, design, uh, you know, the way that the drills were designed, were actually put in place to develop the um, uh, energy system requirements that went with the sort of periodization uh, blocks that we were following. Um, following uh, um, your maximum strength phase, it's just a basic explosive strength phase or, or power phase. Um, uh, I don't see too much differentiation in rugby um, because, I, I mean, I, 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 some, sometimes I think of things very simplistically. And uh, if you throw a, a, a shot foot, you, you, you basically have to have uh, uh, the ability to have explosive power to carry your body across a circle and throw a seven-kilogram object as far as you can. Uh, when you're playing rugby, you have to have the ability to carry or move your body very well and then move objects that 
uh, approximate the weight of your body. So, you know, much of my time uh, spent doing uh, explosive strength or, or, or power work for, for rugby would be spent moving bars as quickly as possible that weigh approximately the same weight as a player. So maybe maybe jump squats at body weight, power clean and jerks at body weight, uh, bench presses for speed at body weight. So so those that, that type of work. And then the final block of work really would would, would sit uh, uh, within uh, sports specific needs. So uh, uh, I, I think my definition of sports specific again might be uh, a little different than other people. So I'd be looking at. Uh, uh, improving stretch shortening cycle i mean we tend to run everywhere we go in the field so so i have a basic program of plyometrics which went from uh, i don't know very uh, low level uh, standing jumps uh, for for young players and players with low training age when they eventually get to the point where they would be doing uh, uh, sets of uh, depth jumps so a lot of the specific work would would end up and focus around Makes makes a lot of sense, um, and like a while back, I saw you tweeted a kind of uh, flow chart um, looking at, I guess, kind of a strength diagnosis approach. Can can you remember the one I'm I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, could you kind of explain that? Because I think that again, going back to you know simple and basic, that's a really good way for for young coaches to kind of figure out what uh, you know an individual athlete needs to be focusing on at any one time. So, again, these would sort of follow. Paradigms that uh, Berkashansky would have in place in terms of the order of events, which uh, I, I think most people realise that if you do periodise, uh, work has to be sequential, and 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 the the work that you do in a block, uh, uh, if done correctly, leads into the work in the next block or the next phase, whatever you want, to, whatever terminology you want to use. So I think that when we talk about an individual sport like rugby. Um, it's obviously a collision-based sport, and, and generally, uh, unless you have some uh, extreme qualities or you're very talented, you have to be big enough to play the game. So uh, a, a lot of focus is put on uh, 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 hypertrophy and uh, uh, developing muscle mass. So it seems to me that you know I put together some, uh, and I actually did this when I was at the uh, WRU, and it was a sort of a academy uh, uh, development plan, which actually worked very well. And uh, we looked at asking the question: Is a player big enough? Um, so uh, if if they are, if they're not big enough, let's do some uh, hypertrophy work, and let's have a little sort of testing mechanism to see how long they stay within that. Uh, hypertrophy training phase and I figured out well we could probably stay in that phase until we start to lose uh, some of our explosive power 
or, or until we're big enough. So you'd have a sort of, uh, you know, the old flow charts I used to draw when I did uh, computer studies back in school in 1984. You'd have a little flow chart where you have an input. Are you big enough? Yes. Well, you can move on to the next phase. No hypertrophy program. How long do you stay in the hypertrophy block? And it would be, well, we made a decision. You stay in the hypertrophy block until your uh, vertical jump decreased by more than 5% or your, uh, your, your uh, muscle mass or size was where we wanted it to be. So we sort of keep on circling that, that little loop or come out of the loop again and, and go and do an explosive phase if you weren't big enough, until you got your vertical jump back, and then you'd step back into it. And then we'd go into the next phase, and we'd ask yourself, well, uh, you know, are you, uh, are you strong enough? And we'd have a similar sort of little route that how long could we stay in a strength training system, and we keep with, with, with inputs and outputs. You have to forgive me, I can't quite remember what they, they are offhand. It's been a long time since I looked at it. Uh, and then you'd move on to... Uh, uh, a speed type block and we'd ask questions around stretch shortening cycle uh, do you have the, the you know uh, uh, an exposure stretch deficit was another there, there was a nice little definition that we used to use which came from uh, uh, science of practice of uh, uh, strength training by Zatsayovsky and if I remember rightly I think it was could you produce 50% of your maximum force within uh, 0.1 seconds so we'd make a decision in, in, in our, I think that was in our maximal strength block, actually. So when you're going to do your maximal strength block, can you produce uh, 50% of your force within uh, 0.1 seconds? If yes, then you can keep on working maximal strength. If no, then you need to work on explosive strength. And we keep circling that loop, and then we come into the one where is your stretch shortening cycle uh, or, or your stretch shortening cycle jump or counter movement jump greater than your squat jump? And then we'd have a little... Uh, uh, plan based on the outcomes of that. Do, do you need to do plyometric work or just do you need to do simple explosive work? And then I think our, our, our last uh, our last little block of work would be based around endurance or, or, or speed qualities. And we'd simply ask the question. We used to do a test back then called the uh, uh, the phosphate decrement test. And I think it was uh, 10 40-meter sprints run every uh 25 seconds and the expectations were that at least one of your sprints would be at 95 percent of your maximum velocity and you had to try and maintain uh, all of your sprints uh to a point where you, you, you your maximum drop off was no more than 10 percent between your best and worst sprint and we had a little uh, uh rule there that if a player was able to maintain a, a 90 percent drop off then uh, we'd work on maximal velocity. If a player couldn't uh, attain uh, or maintain 90% drop-off, we'd sit back in and do some endurance work. And then, and then when you could do that, we'd start at the back, back end of the block again, and hopefully what we'd have at the outcome is a, is a player who's worked quite specifically all the way through. He's done some strength work or, or some hypertrophy work to start with. He's then got into a... Uh, uh, a strength training block that either focused on maximum strength or uh, explosive strength, depending on his uh, uh, percentages of force that he produced at 0.1 seconds. Our next block would then look at uh, developing power and what the players need uh, uh, to do that via plyometrics or other methods. And then finally, we'd have a block of work where we focus on either speed or um, endurance, and we keep on circling that. And, and, and 
and the players who came out of that system actually did quite well. A lot yeah. of them are still playing for Wales. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think it's a, a brilliant way to kind of organise, like say, do the strength diagnosis. Or it's all based on you know those standards, and and you can adjust it better yeah. to, to the individual and see them improving over time as they go through multiple blocks. That's really really good. Now. Um, um, I know you've used kind of circuits in the past to develop different physical qualities. I think sometimes circuit training gets a bit of a bad rap. Sometimes people go, you know, if, if they don't understand the kind of thinking behind it, they kind of think circuit training is an old school approach. But um, could you just talk about how you how you set up circuits for different training or for different physical qualities uh, to get the benefits out of them? Okay, so, so uh, um, I, th- I think there's a couple of points here. Um, I, 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 there's, a, there's a guy who works for uh, British Judo called Alan McDonald who, 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 who writes some good stuff on circuits and he's always worth uh, uh, listening to or, or, or reading about and uh, um, I do like some of the stuff that he says about it as well but, but my thought process behind it are, are, are uh, number one I think that uh, early in the year or in pre-season uh, when when players are doing a lot of strength training and you're trying to get extra volume in in terms of uh, aerobic endurance and uh, uh, aerobic power and you're not close to the season and you're not too worried about specificity, you can do work like uh, like rowing, like skiing, and you can get some very good central adaptations in terms of, uh, I don't know, your heart development, your blood volume, uh, uh, those types of things, uh, uh, you can get some very good uh, central developments from utilizing that type of work. Um, as you get closer to the season and you're doing your strength training, there, 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 there are two points that I um, noted from Vergashansky's work. Uh, number one was that he spoke about uh, specific strength training as, as, as being... Um, uh, the, the, the ability to utilize your stretch shortening cycle if necessary or not. So, so a lot of your specific work will be based around that. But, but then the second point he'd make is that, well, well it, it's great being able to be very strong or very powerful in the gym, but generally in competitive sports or team sports like, uh, like rugby union, um, uh, you're very rarely fresh and raring to go and recovered when you have to... Um, uh, utilize explosive power, maximum strength, whichever quality you want to talk about. So, so these things need to be produced under aerobic fatigue. So, I figured that uh, doing my specific training blocks, I could pull together circuits that were based on being very explosive or as explosive as possible, uh, and uh, uh, that may have some transfer uh, towards the sport. Uh, and I felt that uh, I know it's very difficult to stay explosive when you have peripheral fatigue, but, but what you can do uh, to a certain extent is, uh, is alternate the type of work you're doing. So you can go from, I don't know, total body work to, to um, upper body work to lower body work, back to upper body work. And you put, can put together some quite... Uh, specific, and when I say specific, they're specific only in, in the term that you're producing maximum force or, or, or maximum power output uh, whilst under uh, central fatigue or high heart rates, whatever you want to term it. 
So I don't know. Will we come up with circuits that might look something like, uh, uh, you know, power cleans into explosive bench press, into explosive rows, uh, into a, a sled toe, um, into a uh, some form of squat jump, into a clapping press, a throwing bags, etc. And they were very early days, but, but I did think that uh, they were very effective and players bought into them, which is always important as well, and I could understand why they were doing why they were doing them and what they were doing them and I thought they were very effective, especially for forwards, and you can obviously make these, we used to make them a little bit different for backs, where you maybe have slightly longer, slightly longer recoveries and uh, uh, the, the, the explosive uh, exercises you'd use in might be based more around agility runs uh, sled toes and uh, plyometric exercises, but we certainly uh, got, got good results in terms of uh, uh, improved performance from players from doing that type of work. Yeah, I think I think they're a great tool. I still, I've still nicked some of your sessions from the Ospreys many years ago that I still use now. <laughs> um, this is a question we, we ask all the guests on the podcast. It's, what do you think is the biggest mistake rugby players make when it comes to strength and conditioning? Um, I think that uh, having a realisation that quality isn't, improved, it isn't important. So, but the, the, the nature of the people that play rugby union, and I presume rugby league, um, means that the vast majority of them enjoy hard work and, and they don't feel any sense of achievement or, or, uh, or progress if, if they haven't worked hard and they're lying on their back and... Uh, uh, you know, the, the legs aren't full of lactic. Uh, and an understanding that, that actually doing the impact that quality work can have on your ability to play. So be that, I don't know, uh, uh, instead of doing uh, 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 five sets of five power cleans, doing ten sets of two at the same weight. Or instead of doing uh, uh, aerobic endurance work, spending some time doing quality speed work. And I mean speed work, not not sort of uh, sprint 30 meters, jog back, but actually focusing on uh, on quality because I, I, I think it's important to realize that um, despite having uh, requirements, to, uh, despite having needs and abilities to work hard and to be able to work for 80 minutes uh, at high heart rates, what does tend to separate the best players and the best teams from those who aren't so good are still explosive strength qualities. So it's still the ability to accelerate. It's still the ability to change direction. It's still the ability to jump high. These are all the things that when we look at um, uh, strength diagnostics, these are qualities that are separating the uh, good from not so good. So, so the best wingers will be more explosive than the not so good wingers best props will be not more explosive and they're not so good props and, and there's a tendency to to think that you can work hard to make up for those attributes but I think that people need to realize or, or people will be far better spending time uh, trying to imp- improve you know baseline speed uh, baseline acceleration baseline power outputs yeah definitely now tell us a bit about your your role now the RFU obviously um you know, you you oversee the whole pathway. So, how do you kind of approach that in trying to improve the, the kind of future talent of the, the England players? So, uh, 
it's uh, it's difficult. It's about having the right people in place. So I'm lucky to have some some. Uh, uh, I have uh, a good guy looking after the sevens team, Dan Howells. I've got Robin and Grant with the 18s and 20s. Uh, we've, we've got good strength and conditioning staff throughout the pathway. So my focus is being a little bit more about uh, uh, where 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 do we sit? So 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 for instance, where do the 20s currently sit in terms of the uh, uh, senior squad uh, uh, in terms of uh, uh, their training intensities, their training volumes, uh, what physical qualities the senior squad are looking for, and how can we pull the 20s towards the seniors? Uh, then I think we're sort of getting quite far into that process at the moment, and it's about doing the same with the 18s. How can we pull the 18s towards uh, the 20s? I, I think it's important, one, because... Uh, uh, we're a pathway, and at the end of the day, uh, we have to produce players for England. So, whatever England's needs are, we should be trying to mirror those in our development and, and maximise the physical attributes and the training attributes that they want. But it's also quite important in terms of uh, uh, players changing between teams. So, it, 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 it's quite possible that a, uh, uh, a 20s player can get called up into a campaign. And he has to be able to withstand the training volumes, intensities, high-speed running, etc. That we know the senior squad do. So having minimum abilities and, 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 and trying to pull players towards that is, is quite critical in terms of robustness as well as as well in terms of a, a performance pathway. Now the, the other the other area I think that's quite important that we're not good at in rugby is understanding the game and understanding. Um, uh, what wins, what loses rugby matches, uh, and, and uh, what actions uh, are actually critical on the field, for want of a better word. So, so when you win a game, is it because you scrum all lineouts better? Is it because you kick in games better? Is it because you carry better? And, and I know there's going to be uh, a degree of variance depending on the team, but you'd be surprised how um, uh, how similar those factors are between and between uh, leagues uh, and how can we identify uh, the so I think the next the, 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 the secret to team sports will be or, or the future of team sports possibly is identifying those critical factors or critical attributes that the best players and the best teams possess and then um, uh, investigating whether you can um, uh, identify the physical physical or physiological components that support those uh, uh, on-field actions, and, and probably more importantly, if you can identify them, and if you can develop them, uh, do they actually um, uh, uh, produce better results on field? So, so if I so so do they uh, cause an improvement in the critical actions of teams? Uh, Perform during games. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I look forward to sort of hearing your, you know, how that how that develops over time. It's really interesting. Um, and again, another question we ask all the guests is, what advice would you give to upcoming strength coaches? Uh, look, I, I think number one, focus on the basics. It's really important. So, um, uh, the the number of times that I see a program that I have when I when I read it, I don't actually understand what the outcomes 
uh, that that program is meant to generate actually are. So, so lots of gym programs look the same, irrespective of what try, people are trying to do. Lots of S&C or lots of on-field on uh, energy system programs look the same as uh, uh, irrespective of where teams are or what time of the year it is. I think it's really important to realize that um, with the advent of GPS, it gives us lots of in- interesting information, but but it, it's also led to this, in inverted commas, I'm making these air quotes here, where, where it, it's also led to the people wanting to train like the game. Well, we train like the game every time we do a rugby session. So so when we do our, 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 our work off-field, it's only general, and it's really important that, that we are... We're actually doing what we say we're doing, so our sessions should do what they say on the can. So if we perform in a strength training session, know how to program to perform maximum strength or to improve maximum strength. Know how to program to improve explosive power. Know how to improve program to improve uh, aerobic endurance, aerobic power, all of these things. So, so the needs, the sport-specific needs are not as important in team sports, or they are as important, but they're, but they're only they're supported by general abilities. You have to be able to get players strong. You have to be able to get players aerobically fit. You have to be able to get players faster. So understand basic, uh, basic conditioning principles and uh, don't worry too much about uh, specificity. I think that would be my first bit of advice. Uh, my, my, my second bit of advice, I suppose, is understand the sport that you're working in. Uh, and when I say understand the sport you're working in, I don't only mean the um, uh, the energetics and the physiology behind it. I mean the culture. I mean the type of people that you're dealing with uh, uh, and, and how to develop relationships with those people. Because we all know that uh, the best program in the world followed without buy-in is not as good as the worst program in the world followed with buy-in. So, as well as having the ability to write good programs, you have to have the ability to ensure that players want to follow them and be motivated to follow them. And I think if there's one third bit of advice uh, I'd have, it is that uh, um, it's not critical, but I do think it's important that you, uh, you look after yourself. And I have to be careful what I say here, but I think if you want to be a, a good SSC coach, you have to, to a certain extent, look the part. You, you know, you, you have to look after yourself physically and you have to be able to do some of the things you expect the players to do. You don't have to be as good as them at it. It doesn't have to be the same thing. But I, I don't think you can be uh, uh, unhealthy and overweight and uh, 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 expect the players to have a, a great deal of buy-in off you. I think you have to look after yourself. If, 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 I, if I want to learn... Uh, uh, about computing, um, I'm going to go to somebody who understands uh, computer science and practices computer science. You know, I, 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 if I want to learn about S and C, uh, I, I probably want to go to somebody who uh, who understands S and C, practices S and C, and understands the importance of looking after themselves. And, and also, in such a stressful industry, probably important for your health as well. Yeah, definitely some great points there, Benny. Thanks for those. Uh, and lastly, because I know you're a busy man, so uh, where can people learn more about you? Gosh, um, I'm on Twitter. Um, I used to post quite a lot. I don't get too many opportunities now, but uh, I tend to have a look. I think it's great for following uh, 
some of the uh, oh, it's great for picking up a lot of journal uh, uh, articles and it's great for, for following what other people are doing so I tend to be on Twitter um, probably nowhere else if I'm honest yeah <laughs> cool well we'll share a link to your Twitter thing <laughs> on the, in the show notes but <laughs> Benny thanks uh, so much for you know taking the time to speak to us um, some, some great information there so I'm sure the listeners will, will get a ton out of that but uh, just thanks and, and all the best for everything uh, for the future Cheers, Jamie. Thanks, mate. Nice to speak to you. Right, so another great podcast. Thanks, Benny, for taking the time to speak to us. Tons of information there, uh, whether you just want to improve your own performance or whether you work with athletes and want to improve theirs. I think big takeaway is, you know, focus on uh, things that are actually going to improve performance. Uh, don't get sidetracked by anything fancy and make sure your training program is designed to improve that, not trying to hit everything at the same time. Uh, so great information. Thanks again, Benny. Uh, in the meantime, guys, Please subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn or iTunes and give us a five-star review and keep checking us out at RugbyRenegade.com. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Renegade podcast. For more quality rugby strength and conditioning information, check us out at RugbyRenegade.com. Rugby Renegade, building machines.